Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. As always, very cool, very interactive episode today. We have Josh of Bushel. Uh, and I think this is the first time. Bushel is an online marketplace to connect you uh, with the best brands, uh, all sun-grown, sustainable from the Emerald region. Uh, really, really great company. And you can have the CBD products shipped to your door right now. Uh, even cooler than that is I think this is the first time we've ever had a guest that you could go and invest in the company immediately. They're currently doing a crowdfund uh, on Seed Invest where you can go and learn all about the company, about the terms of the investment, and make the investment right there. This is the future. Very, very cool, particularly for cannabis to have a crowdfunding campaign like this. You can go and read all about it. Seedinvest.com slash bushel slash seed. So that's seedinvest.com slash B-U-S-H-L slash seed. Uh, I put some money in already. Uh, It's very exciting. Josh is very compelling. You're really going to love it. We get into some very deep topics about sustainable agricultural and cannabis, uh, his background, the Emerald region and why the terroir and the cannabis is better from there, and then why crowdfunding matters and and how to sort of compete with the big corporations and and big, huge, large of investment uh, that have come into the industry. This is the more grassroots sort of Bernie uh, Sanders-esque strategy. So I think you're going to learn a lot, guys. I learned a ton. you're going to learn a ton for sure. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Josh, thanks so much for joining us, man. This is really exciting. Um, I don't know that we've ever had a guest where the audience could literally directly after this go and invest in the company if they're so interested. Um, there's been rounds that have been open, companies that are raising money, but never an active seed invest or something like that where somebody could go invest directly. So that's super exciting. Um, yeah. But anyway, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. Absolutely. Yeah. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm excited for this opportunity. Definitely, man. Let's start with something easy. What is Bushel? Bushel is a sustainable, natural, and craft cannabis marketplace. So simply put, it's like an Amazon with a Whole Foods vibe. Okay. Let's unpack some of that. Um, (laughs) That's a mouthful. So you said sustainable. That's one of the words that you used. Um, Why why is what you're doing sustainable as opposed to the other big cannabis companies, some of which have raised millions and millions and millions of dollars? Yeah. So a lot of the brands that we represent and sell through our marketplace are practicing sustainable and even beyond sustainable. Uh, It goes towards regenerative agriculture and production practices. Um, So everything that we represent as a brand and as an ethos is to drive towards a sustainable future and using cannabis as the conduit to help us get there as such a new and emerging market. uh, It provides a great opportunity for that. So just so I'm clear, you're a platform that helps smaller growers, legacy grower businesses sort of get the marketing and the attention and connect with consumers, right? You're sort of the bridge there. Am I, am I right? Uh, Absolutely, Brandon. Yeah, we are bringing scale through marketing and sales uh, to the small family farmers. 
Perfect. And, and reminds me very much of a, a company called Flocana, which has been on this show and raised lots and lots of money and now has a huge multiple. Um, those investors have done very, very well. Comes to mind, uh, Poseidon was very early in that deal, which I'm a little jealous of. Uh, but, but anyway, how does it differ? What is Flocana doing that you're sort of borrowing? And is there, is there something that you're doing better there? No, so we um, we align ourselves with brands like Flocana. There's also Henry's Originals up in uh, Northern California, and then there's you know more fragmentation within the Oregon market, which is our primary market. But you know what Flocana does is building a sustainable supply chain. So they actually touch the plant, they move it, they trim it, they jar it, package it, market and distribute it to the distributors. But what we're doing is more ancillary and wider scaled than that. So we would work with a brand like a Flocana um, just to you know bring awareness and drive traffic and engagement and sales to their branded products. But we can do that with Flocana. We can do it with East Fork up in Oregon. We can do it with TKO Reserve and several other brands that kind of you know embody the same ethos as a Flocana, but might not. You know, we're we're more agnostic, and we can work with with several Flocanas essentially. So the end result is that the consumer just has more choice. Right. So Flocana is a great example, uh, having raised a significant amount of capital to bring their message to consumers, but they're not the only ones that are sourcing and pushing the sustainable cannabis message. Um, So we're doing it more fragmented with several other brands, whereas they are putting their brand on top of several farms um, and, and, and owning that supply chain themselves. So is there a bushel brand? Will there be a bushel brand? There is no bushel brand and there aren't immediate plans to create one. The goal with bushel is more to be a trusted resource center for consumers. Um, So, you know, going back to the Amazon comparison, you look at Whole Foods, right? And ignore the fact that Whole Foods does have their own internal brand, the 365, but they also stock a lot of other brands on their shelves. And as a consumer, when you go into Whole Foods, you might not recognize everything that's on their shelf, but you know that if they're in a Whole Foods location, that they have been vetted, that they're of a certain quality, and that they are they stand for a certain you can trust you know value you can set. trust you can it, trust yeah. it. Mm-hmm. and that's what we're trying to build with Bushels to be that trusted marketplace where consumers can go and engage with our partners that we've vetted and can ensure the quality of their product. So let's talking about that vetting a little bit because you're you're asking people to sort of take a little bit of a leap here that you are the one that should select the best, uh, most sustainable, wh- whatever, the, the weed that they should buy. Um, wh- right. Why you guys? Well, we've aligned ourselves with industry-leading brands that are pushing the envelope when it comes to regenerative agriculture, You know, growing without the use of synthetic nutrients or chemical pesticides. So it's really good quality, clean cannabis products. Um, we've also aligned ourselves with some third-party certification agencies out there like Certified Kind and the Cannabis Conservancy that physically go out and audit the farms that they apply their certification to to ensure that there's you know no chemical pesticide use, sustainable practices, good waste management, um, efficient water usage. And we just work off of their standards and their vetting process to adopt the brands that they've already certified. Okay, so it's safe, um, but what about in terms of quality? How do you ensure that? 
Well, when it comes to quality of the product, we look a lot at the inputs that go into the product itself. So when you're growing cannabis flower without synthetic nutrients and without any chemical pesticides or uh, herbicides or anything of that nature, it, it tends to be a higher quality product. It's, it's clean. It's as natural as could possibly be. If it's sun grown, you know, the sun has pulled out all of the terpene profiles that the plant inherently has. Um, so just with the inputs themselves, we can ensure higher quality coming out and um where where are most of these cultivations where are the partners that you've selected so right now uh we're mostly in oregon that was our our launch market that's where we you know really went out and tested the platform and refined it over the past few years to get it just right uh and now we're we're exploring our expansion into california uh and that's really what brings us to our capital raise is to to raise the capital required to to go into california it's a it's a massive state especially compared to oregon what's the most expensive part of a new market I would, you know, building markets is always difficult. It's always that chicken or the egg um, comparison. You know, do you go and bring up all the suppliers and hope the demand comes or do you go and kind of garner some demand and bring the supply after that? And what we've and that's that's definitely the most expensive part is marketing on both sides and trying to acquire brands, you know, which could have a high acquisition cost and then acquiring customers to go and actually shop those brands. Well, it's really interesting because it's hard to build that type of team because you, you one need B2B salespeople and then you also need the consumer driven marketing to get the demand in. Um, when you look at, I mean, this is kind of classic marketplace outside of cannabis, just marketplace economics and, and software. Um, it, it, I think the best ones, what they do is they hack one side, right? So they like, they kind of cheat on one side and let the other one um, move organically. And I think in this case, that's probably the suppliers, right? I mean, you could you could get a couple big suppliers and, and have enough supply for a good amount of demand. Am I right? Is that the easier side to take care of? Yeah, it definitely is uh, easier to bring on suppliers, especially the the kinds of businesses that we're going after are very underserved. You know, they're not able to access bigger, broader platforms. Bigger, broader platforms are kind of overlooking them as well. You know, the farms that we work with are in hard to reach places. They're up in Humboldt on the hillside. They're down in southern Oregon. Um, So it's not there's there's not a lot of competition, I'd like to say going after these kinds of farms. Um, So that is definitely the easier side to do. But when it comes to consumers, you know, we... We don't want to dive too much into any greenwashing, but there is a very defined consumer out there and growing trends of consumers that are already heading in the direction that we are placing our marketplace in. So, yes, it's it's you know a little bit more difficult to acquire customers because they can shop cannabis from so many different startups right now. But there is a very specific customer that we are, are reaching out for and building this platform for. What is that demographic of that customer and how are you reaching them? Yeah. So we simply call them conscious consumers, you know, consumers that do a little bit of research, care for and are willing to pay a bit of a premium to ensure the qualities that they're consuming, that they're inhaling and that they're putting on their skin are not going to damage them, um, you know, and are, are again, of really good quality and the way that we're going after that uh at least with you know what we've done so far which has has 
turned out to work pretty well on a limited budget that we have is really you know anything that will impact a network effect so the kinds of consumers that we are going after are the kinds of consumers that love to share these with these stories and these experiences with their friends. You can look at the early days of CrossFit. Um, you know, everyone likes to make fun of vegans for always telling everyone they're vegan within like 10 seconds of meeting them. And, you know, people that are excited about good quality product that is ethically produced and, you know, doesn't damage the environment. They like to share those stories as well. So we're creating events, we're creating dinners, farm tours, um, you know, farmers markets, bringing our brands direct in contact with customers and really just these authentic events where people can actually meet with the the farmer that grew their product or manufactured their product uh, and hear their stories and learn direct from the source about you know what goes into actually creating an eighth of flour which i i didn't know until i got into the industry so you know we're just trying to provide that to others those events sound super fun how many how many of those have you done so far yeah. not too many uh we've been a part of a few uh simply again our budget couldn't couldn't do all of it ourselves but we are coming out with some events here in brooklyn at the end of this month which i'm super excited about we've got a cbd infused dinner to announce uh, the launch of one of our uh, cbd products and then we're also going to follow that up with a pop-up marketplace uh, where consumers and customers can come and, and shop direct from the brands so you talked about how your suppliers are um all in the Emerald region, both Oregon and, and Northern California. Um, can we talk about the history a little bit there? I mean, it really Absolutely. is sort of the cultural hub of cannabis. Um, let's talk about a little bit how it got there. Yeah, so I actually had the great opportunity to go out to Humboldt County just a few weeks ago, and I got to meet and spend the day with the Humboldt County Growers Alliance uh, with Executive Director Tara Carver, who represents 250 legacy farms up in Humboldt County. And we just spent the day completely off the grid, driving around, visiting these farms and hearing their stories. And you know, I really got to see firsthand how this industry started. Because uh, remember, in the illicit market, you know, for the past several decades, the majority of cannabis that we've all been consuming, you know, that I consumed in high school was was grown in this region. So, you know, a lot of it started in the 60s and 70s with disenfranchised San Franciscans, San Franciscoans, uh, San Franciscans, who, I think. Yeah, <laughs> San Franciscans. You could who, just call them tech bros. It's the same thing today. But yeah, go, yeah. go ahead. Well, the, the 60s version of them. Um, <laughs> You know, during the Vietnam era and, you know, some things coming out with the government that placed a lot of distrust in them, these individuals just went north of San Francisco and decided that they were going to live off the land. There, there was a movement for back to the earth. And these are the people that, you know, built houses on plots of land completely off the grid, grew their own vegetables, raised their own chickens, maybe had some livestock or, or something else, you know, some animal. Um, but then they started growing cannabis and cannabis fit into their lifestyle. It provided them an income. They were able to reinvest that income into their community, you know, building firehouses, community centers, hospitals, schools, and really reinvest that into the community. So, you know, you have these individuals that just went to live off the earth and 
with that same ethos started growing cannabis you know most of the houses and the farms that we visited are 100 off the grid so there's no electrical wires that run up there there's no internet cable everything you know all the energy that they use has to be sourced from the sun or from the wind or maybe hydraulic pressure somewhere downstream but it's all renewable resources because that's what they've been doing for the past 50, 60 years. So we met this one woman, Andalyn of Dewpoint Humble, and she likes to say that her cannabis is fully sun grown and that even the pumps that push the water through the irrigation pipes to the plant beds is powered by the sun. So it's just a completely, you know, essentially zero carbon footprint growing in the region which just is inherently sustainable and natural um you know another thing with this is they're so isolated up in the mountains that they also need to be really conscious of their waste you know it takes them 30 minutes to drive to the nearest uh place to dump off their trash so they can only do that once a week or so so they need to be really conscious of how much waste they produce and in that they've just developed these methods to grow cannabis out in the open uh you know in really all natural sustainable ways it it was it was a magical trip out there i really really fell in love with that region that sounds awesome um what else goes into sustainable farming that's that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot i feel like um what what does that mean to you i mean besides using solar and all kinds of different energy i mean how how do you do that the right way yeah so you know it's it's a spectrum really and there's sustainable there's beyond sustainable which digs into regenerative but you know the way that we look at it is in the industry's infancy starting good habits today will have compound you know will compound interest essentially over time so that it it gets better over time and it, and it grows wider and it the impact grows greater so you know today we're working with farmers that are practicing practicing sustainability uh through composting and they're just they're not throwing anything out they just compost it all and next season they put it back in the soil for nutrients something as simple as that would count as sustainable right now um you know it can go even beyond that we work with farms that never till their soil uh they don't use any artificial nutrients and everything that they they need for the plant is provided within that soil you know whether it's the microbes that are you know playing around in there or it's companion cropping that brings in the nitrogen and the potassium that the cannabis plant needs um or if it's just you know planting dandelions which help you know uh, disperse a lot of pests it's all just you know, using what nature gives you to grow the best cannabis available uh, yeah, I mean, and doing I, it in a way that sorry, doesn't create much waste. Yeah, not much yeah. waste. I mean, that, that ties so closely in with the Emerald Region discussion and the, and the rich terroir that is there. And that's why it's so important to grow cannabis there. I think it's important for, un, for people to understand that there is a pretty big difference between indoor cannabis and outdoor cannabis. Um, they both have their place. They both can be wonderful. Um, but the indoor cannabis requires an incredible amount of electricity and other you know resource intensive things um and outdoor is like 
growing a plant. Not that it doesn't need more attention, doesn't need care and love, but it's it's much more, uh, much less impactful on the planet. Um, why is that important as we go forward? I mean, there's all this, you know, uh, climate change is a very hot topic. In addition to that, we have vape gate going on right now. Everybody's really concerned about what's in their vape pens, the chemicals. People are, some people are dying a small amount. There's a lot of hype, but some people are dying. Um, why is it so important to have this sustainable quality outdoor sun-grown cannabis? Why does this need to exist in the world? Yeah. So, I mean, you said it yourself, there is a climate crisis on our hands right now, and it is a very hot topic, very much pun intended. But, you know, beyond the greenwashing and all of the big brands trying to get in and, and, you know, label, have green labels and use the word sustainability, it really, it really does matter how this, at the end of the day, it's an, it matters how this agricultural product is grown. I mean, look at the corn industry, look at the soybean industry, look at these other large industrial agricultural industries and the issues that they're facing today. You know, without government subsidies, they would be looting, losing a ton, a ton of money every single year and they would struggle. They are struggling to stay in business. And a lot of that is because they're so tied into, um, you know, genetically modified seeds that require certain pesticides and certain nutrients, and they're having to buy everything and use it. And it's now, you know, I watched a special actually last night on 60 Minutes that talked about this uh, Lando Lakes and how they've developed incredible technology to help farmers, you know, only use pesticides and seeds and all the chemicals where it's absolutely necessary to save on costs because margins are so low, so low. But what I'm seeing in cannabis and what has already been in cannabis for 50, 60 years in the Emerald region is, you know, growing with what nature provides to you. And it's not importing nutrients. It's not buying pesticides, but it's planting your, your cannabis crop outside in an environment that's already built to deter pests and to, you know, provide the soil with as much nutrients and everything that it needs to grow the product. And it's, it's so important that this part of the industry you know, survives and continues to grow as cannabis rolls out nationwide and worldwide because you know that, you know, big ag, big tobacco and big alcohol are foaming at the mouth trying to get into this space. And the way that they conduct their business already is not good for the environment. It doesn't have the farmers in mind. You know, they're getting... I don't know if I can say this, but they're getting screwed by these big corporations that are, you know, are absolutely crushing them. Awesome. Um, so to be able to support craft cannabis farmers who are doing things right and, and to show that this can actually be done at scale, which let me remind you, it's been at scale for the past 40 years. As long as we've all been smoking weed on the East Coast, it's been grown in Humboldt County for the most part, very you know sustainably and out in the sun. So this is something that can be done. It's just, you know, with Bushel, it's about providing the platform for these businesses to grow and to reach their consumers and to essentially survive in a very precarious situation where big companies are getting into the space and will monocrop, will mass produce, will automate, and will, you know, look at cannabis as a commodity crop when in reality it's it's so different based on where it's grown and how it's grown it's a, it's a very special plant and this really gets to the heart of brand and consumer and values right and and i think that there's currently a a war going on for the soul of the cannabis industry particularly in california where you have these legacy 
family owned, sometimes women owned businesses as well that are creating great sun grown cannabis like they have for years and trying to fit into this new regulated, very expensive marketplace. And then you have those that have raised millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, which obviously lead them to create the most efficient uh, production, but doesn't always necessarily mean the quality is there. And it's something that I've I've witnessed. The the cannabis in dispensaries in California just are not as good as they used to be, straight up. Um, and that's something that I'm, I'm really fearful for. Is that something you think about when you work with these small farmers? You, you must feel good. You're, you're sort of like, it's the plight of the small farmer and you're, you're pushing that forward. That's, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> It is true. I mean, I bought a, a eighth in Nevada when I was out in Vegas for a conference once, and there were seeds and stems in the package. It was it's kind of outrageous because, you know, the thing is, is when a company brings on that much outside capital, they're no longer beholden to themselves or beholden to their shareholders. And, you know, by working with these family-owned, privately-owned businesses, they're able to control all the inputs, every, you know, harvest tactic, every curing process, every extraction process. They control essentially from seed to sale based on their own standards. So when you have someone that lives on the property, sees the plants every day, doesn't need to answer to shareholders, they're able to create a more, you know, premium product based on their own ethics and their own values and put their ethos into their brand. And that's that's really what we're trying to cultivate. Uh, no pun intended again here, here at Bushel. Um, so Just too easy. We talked about the THC side, but really the much bigger economic opportunity, at least today, is in hemp and CBD. And I understand that's what really the bulk of the raise is. Um, kind of how have you decided to do that? Is it, is it simply based on the market size? And, and how does it differ sort of selling those products, working with those suppliers versus the THC? Yeah, so it's a lot easier in CBD. Uh, our model in that in that realm is uh, dropship e-commerce. So we do the marketing and drive the traffic, and then once an order is placed, our brands receive that order, pop it in the mail, and it goes direct to the consumer's doorstep. Uh, and the real reason we got into that was the state of the organ industry when we had originally launched in 2018 was essentially hitting the bottom. And a lot of our partners that we engaged with began coming out with uh, lines of CBD products under their brand. And we wanted to, you know, help them and and expand that CBD line of their their brand and bring it into new regions here on the East Coast. And that was really the impetus to get into the CBD space. Now, having learned a lot more and, and you know, seen what this space has turned out to about 10 months later, I find what we're doing to be even more important than it was before. You know, my mom in particular has tried CBD products from the local grocery store she she shops at. And she would tell me how much of a headache it gave her. It kept her up all night. She felt hungover the next day. And I looked at it and it said hemp seed oil. And hemp seed oil has no CBD in it. But the person selling it to her told her that it would work. So with such a new industry, there's a ton of educating that's required. But the scariest part is while you know education takes a long time to permeate through society but currently there are people that are slapping three letters onto a label and trying to sell it at a premium price and that's really the harm and the fear out there you know i can go to the bodega across the street and buy a 1000 milligram vape cartridge for 1999 and anybody that knows cbd knows that that's not 
an appropriate cost for 1000 milligrams. So we're, we're really, you know, trying to build out this marketplace to provide people that are looking for CBD, you know, for medicine or just for, you know, some sort of relief, which I guess would be medicine as well, but to ensure that they're actually consuming cannabidiol and that it's real CBD, that it will be effective and efficient in treating whatever their ailment is. Cause there is so much snake oil out there and so many people are getting turned off to CBD before even giving it a appropriate chance because they've, you know, tried something that just wasn't real. And honestly use common sense, like CBD mascara, right. I, you know, like how, how much is that right. going to help you? I don't know. I mean, topicals, they work for me sometimes. Edibles certainly do. I have a CBD vape pen, which is really great. But, you know, use common sense, right? Like, like right. How, how do you want this to affect you? Um, yeah. So you brought up fundraising and you've, mm-hmm. well, just to go back a second, just to be clear, you can go on the website right now and buy these CBD products and have them shipped to you, correct? Yep, anywhere in the continental United States. And and what is uh, what's the website? It's bushelcbd.com. Bushelcbd.com. Yeah, I mean it looks great. I, yeah. I checked it out earlier. Lots of great products delivered to your Thank door, you. which I think a lot of people yes. still don't realize they can do. Um, but very very yeah. cool. Um, so you brought up fundraising a little bit. Obviously, yes. building businesses cost money. Uh, why did you decide to go the crowdfunding route, specifically Seed Invest? Yeah. Uh, well, Seed Invest is one of the most prominent equity crowdfunding platforms out there. They have an incredibly rigorous application process, and they only accept about 1% of all applicants that apply to them. Um, so we're super excited to be on their platform, having made it through that process, uh, being only the second cannabis company that they've ever worked with also. What was the um, first one? Remind me. Uh, it was Hello MD. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I believe HelloMD raised their seed round through Seed Invest as and well. What are the other like non-cannabis companies that have raised a bunch of money on Seed Invest? Uh, so one that's currently going on is this company called Wink. They are a subscription wine company. Uh, I think they've sold you know seventy million dollars of wine wow. in the last year. Wow. They're raising, I believe, a ten million dollar uh, Series A through the platform. Um, but it's it's for them, you know, it's about engaging their customer base and having you know people that already subscribe and and buy their wine, buy in and, and become an investor. Um, you know, which is also the the route that we're taking. You know, some of our customers and and partners investing in us as well. But you know, the the real reason why I wanted to go the crowdfunding route was to provide this opportunity for the general public for anybody that has a thousand dollars to invest they can come to seed invest create a profile and put that money into an escrow account and wait until we close our round and invest in us at that point and the reason is you know what we're doing it's becoming more sexy but it's not very sexy it's it's grassroots it's gorilla-esque and it's really you know david versus goliath and when you're a small business, which we are right now, and you're going up against, you know, another VC backed startup that, you know, is is a few months or or years ahead of you. It's going to take more support than just one investor writing you a check. It's going to take customers, you know, putting their money in and believing in the mission and becoming your customer. And it's, it builds a grassroots movement, which is really what started, you know, sustainability and, you know, Fridays for Future as well. This is this has all been from grassroots. It's not coming from the top down, you know, 
our government is not creating regulations to ensure safe production and efficient energy usage. They're doing the complete opposite. So when it comes to building a movement and pushing the cannabis industry in the direction of sustainability and ethical businesses and natural growing practices, it is going to take a grassroots movement. And that's what we're trying to build here uh, with our customer base and with our crowd fundraise. So basically you're Bernie Sanders. That's what you're telling us. Yeah. I, you know, I feel so drained out just saying that because I know that, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and several other great candidates are all talking about grassroots movements. But at the end of the day, they're, they're completely right. The government this is not going to come from the top down. It needs to come from the bottom up. And when consumers put their money behind the right brands, people take notice and other businesses realize that whatever they're doing, that's you know losing them customers, they need to correct that. And we've already seen it in some big companies that have switched over. And come out with pledges, you know, to fight global warming and donations to the ACLU and other organizations. You know, they they they're starting to take notice of consumers. And I think that that's really important because my generation and later generations, they are starting to put their money behind the right things. And it's really exciting to see. So I agree. Millennials care about where their money goes, not just the product. But let me play devil's advocate for a minute here. Let's say uh, three years from now, Bushel's at $20 million a year in revenue and someone big, maybe a tobacco company, maybe a pharma company comes to you and says, hey, Josh, I'd love to give you $100 million for your company. What, what do you say to that? Well, that would be a tough conversation to have um, because I am invested in my morals and in my ethics. Uh, so I take the money and run. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, you know, it, it depends what the offer is, right? There could be a situation where they acquire the company. I sit on the board and I get to make decisions for the company and therefore keep the same ethos, but provide more resources to grow what we're doing and bring it onto a broader, uh, your larger scale to have more of an impact. So that would be an awesome opportunity to kind of have like a, you know, a, a way and a sway to, to move big tobacco. If that's not something that that would be on the table, you know, it would be really tough, but we'd have to say no and move on. You so know, you're everything open for the right done. partner. I, I just think it's a really important distinction because there's a lot of companies out there today that they almost act as if they're nonprofits, even if they're not. And, they, you know, this messaging sometimes can go a little too far. And just as an investor myself and anybody that's listening and interested in investing in Bushel, I think it's also important to know that you're reasonable, logical enough to say, hey, like, I'm all about sustainability and small farming, but at some point I do have to have a return for my investors here. And that may mean playing with a bigger multinational investment fund or company. Right. But even, even to this day, you know, we are working to align ourselves with investors that believe in the mission and understand what we're doing beyond just a spreadsheet ROI. Obviously return on investment is what's most important to shareholders and, you know, myself being the largest shareholder as well, obviously that's what I'm looking for. But you know, if we start to waver and we don't stand by what we're trying to build, then we just become another greenwashed company out there. And that's not what I want Bushel to be. I want us to eat, sleep, breathe, talk and walk. Well, you know, got it. what everyone believes in us. Yeah. How much have you raised to date? So we did a, a pre-seed round of $400,000. 
in November of 2017. And that's, that's gotten us, you know, it's provided us enough runway to get the product to market and wiggle it and pivot it and position it in a way until we, you know, found that, that customer market fit and product market fit. And what's your, um, target for this round? So with this round, we're going to raise a 1.5 million. Got it. Okay. And then, and then what are you going to do with that money? We are going to scale operations in Oregon as well as California. Uh, we're going to fully invest, um, you know, what we did in Oregon, we're going to replicate that in California and we're going to finally have a budget to market and advertise and spread our message, uh, you know, on a much larger scale than, than we're at right now. Well, that is super, super exciting. Um, flash forward, I, I guess I, I put it at 20 million a year, which maybe is no pressure there, but flash forward three or five years, how, how big can this business be? Yeah. Um, well, on that note as well, one piece that I missed as I was jumping around with everything we're going to do with the money, uh, we're also going to invest in some new technology and new products that will help us turn on about four or five new revenue streams uh, over the next 12 to 16 months. Um, so on that note, you know, if we raise the capital, we get through these 12 months uh, to bring us to our Series A you know, in, in three to five years from now, I want Bushel to be synonymous with craft cannabis and, and clean quality products. So, you know, the same way that we view Whole Foods and, you know, Erewhon Market out in Venice where you are um, and all these, you know, smaller, well, not so small, but more of these, you know, local authentic mm, shops and stores and marketplaces. I want Bushel to be synonymous uh, with quality cannabis. Got it. Um very cool. Let's switch gears here a little bit. I love to learn just a little bit more about you. I asked where will Bushel be in three or five years? Uh, how about you? What, what do you want your role? What do you want to be doing in three to five years? As if this is a job interview, you know, you're getting, you're, you're getting hired at Taco Bell currently, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now, uh, with a team of passionate, um, you know, employees that are, you know, pushing all of us forward as an industry and as a, as a company, um, you know, what I get to do is, is incredible. I get to go out to these beautiful farms in beautiful environments in Southern Oregon and Northern California. And I get to meet with these people that just have incredible stories and incredible passion for what they're doing. It's, it's infectious and it, it keeps me alive. And it's definitely my why of, you know, why, why am I doing this? Why am I pushing so hard to build a craft cannabis marketplace? Um, you know, I, I love my job. I love what I get to do. I love the people I get to meet and the products I get to promote and the stories I get to tell. And I wouldn't want anything, anything to change. That's a good answer. I like that. You know, it's really important. I talk to founders. We help founders all the time, the, the show, but then also we have a consulting group. Everybody knows they listen to this show. But one of the things that we talked about founders is like, okay, you're talking about the business and projections and numbers, but what do you want your life to look like in three or five years? And I think you answered it the right way because you started with, you know, the people that you're going to be helping and spending your most time with. And that, and that's really relevant. That can be way more relevant than having a 12 X multiple exit, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. The, the spreadsheets are tight. My engineering background, uh, you know, I've really built out the PNL and we're executing on it to show the trend in the right direction. But, uh, that's, 
that's like the the side project that I get to do as founder and CEO. It's not the fun stuff that they tell you about. Um, but I, <laughs> I really like, um, you know, that other part. It just it gives me fuel. It gives me energy. It, it's it's my why. Yep. Um, what's your favorite product on Bushel? Oh, my favorite product on Bushel. So personally, I'm I'm a flower uh, smoker. Me I, too. I don't use I don't use vapes. Team uh, yeah. Not super big on edibles unless I've got a long flight or something. Um, so we work with this one grower, uh, Nelson and Company, out of Portland. Uh, he's a legacy grower. Uh, you know, he's been doing this for for many many years, and his flower is just it's it's incredible. It's it's next level. It's it's pure. It's clean. It the terpenes are there. You can, the moment you can smell it through the closed container. Um, so I definitely love his flower. I'd have to say the most. Um, but then we also have two other really exciting brands. Sorry, like I, I love everything on, on our marketplace. This was a tough question. Yeah, but then we we also work with this farm in Southern Oregon. Um, two of them, Indigo Gardens and East Fork Cultivars. They're both practicing uh, regenerative agriculture, um, regenerative growing methods and. East Fork is more CBD um, dominant strains, which I personally really love because ever since I graduated high school, I don't really feel the need to get like super stoned anymore. So I like to kind of just get the mellow CBD with a little bit of THC. Uh, and then with Indigo Gardens, they're just, you know, they've been friends of ours uh, since we started. They were one of the first farms we onboarded. So we've got to see them go through some some grow cycles and learn and iterate and refine their their outdoor practice it's been really exciting and um you know whenever i can build a relationship like that it's it's just it's so special um and it makes me fall in love with with their good quality product yeah you're gonna be successful in this industry man uh cannabis (laughs) is still so communal you know it, it really is you, you have to value people those are people yeah, that are getting ahead that's, that's what i what i tell people and you know our, our vetting process it's interesting because there's a first level of it and that that's really me and when i call up and i start talking to a farmer and i ask them about their grow or about their business and they start telling me about the square footage and the lights and the ventilation and the trimming machines and the automation i know immediately that they're not the kind of businesses that we're looking to work with you know when people start talking about how they got into the industry and how they grow and you know why they're growing and you know maybe a special story about how they got a strain you know maybe a friend brought it back or you know why they've cultivated a certain way that's like when they start talking about that and the real ethos of this industry which is community it's quality it's ethics it's natural um that's that's when it just hits home and i'm like okay let's move forward with this process well that was very succinct i think that's as good a place to wrap up as any um like i said earlier this is a really cool episode because i think it's the first time you can go yourself right now and put money into bushel if you're interested the uh, url the website is seedinvest.com slash bushel slash seed so seedinvest.com slash b-u-s-h-l slash seed and i'm looking at it right now lots of great information all the founding story the details of the raise and the note it's all right there for you guys um yeah everything you need yeah josh thank you so much for joining us man um this has been really fun absolutely yeah this was a pleasure thanks for having me on absolutely man